You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and we are broadcasting to you remotely. I am here with the world's foremost COVID denier. His name is Abby. Abby, welcome and what do you have to say for yourself? Oh, Manish, you are not incorrect. Sorry, you are not incorrect. <laughs> Last time. I will give you that. I will give you that. I wouldn't say I was a COVID denier. I would say you're a COVID doubter. I wouldn't say I don't know about doubter. I would just say I, I underestimated the severity of the economical impact and our day-to-day impact. What a difference so, ten days makes. However, huh? though, however, however, actually, it was funny. What a difference three days makes because we recorded that podcast on not last Thursday but the Thursday before, right. and on the Monday, you and I had a discussion and. It was like the tables had turned, right? Things moved, I think, more rapidly than anybody could have thought. Um, right. You know, for reference, today is Tuesday night, uh, March 24th, I believe. Is that right? Yep, you got it. Yeah, and we recorded um, we recorded that episode on the Thursday night about 10 days ago. And, yeah, I mean, what what a world of difference. Every day really feels like it's more like a week um, in, in today's world. And, and that, that goes into the, the episode title of today, which, which is what, Abby? THC. Things have changed. Things have, have changed. Yeah. Isn't, isn't better for the worse. Do we know? I don't know. It's pretty early to find out, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I mean, to the average person, to the investors, to the world, I think undoubtedly things have changed for the worst. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, I, I also still believe that the worst is yet to come. And I agree. I agree. And, we'll, you know, we'll get into that in this episode. But I think some of the key questions around um, COVID and around what's going to happen next, and it was really the agenda for today, which is what we're going to talk about, is we're going to talk about, um, you know, how we're looking at the world differently these days. Uh, you know, how long will this shutdown or lockdown last? How deep does it go? How bad will it get? And lastly, what is the opportunity for uh, investors? Uh, because I do believe that this will be a golden opportunity of investment. It's just trying to figure out and define when and where that investment will look like. For sure. And we always say, don't try to time the market. It's always time in the market that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Both you and I are still invested. We're still buying. We'll talk about what we're buying later down the line. Uh, we're both high-grading our portfolio. What I wanted to say on my earlier comment here on have things gotten better or worse, um, you're right. It has gotten uh, worse for everybody, for your general Main Street uh, person, I guess. But what I meant to say was the opportunity that's being presented to us right now is unprecedented. It's kind of like how many times did you and I hear, hey, if I had, you know, if I had money in 2008, I would have bought this. It would have done so great. 
well, this is that opportunity for us. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the and by the way, sorry, just to just to jump in with what you said about buying and, and portfolios, uh, I'm actually the other way around. And, and in the last couple of days, I have moved almost entirely to cash. Uh, and that's probably going to surprise a bunch of people. And, and you know, I, I don't think I'm pretty. Well, are you are you taking are you just taking losses right now? Or? Huge losses, brutal losses. Uh, but it, it also reminds me similar to kind of what I did back in the fall uh, in October when I when I sold off the bottom half of my portfolio, the lower quality names, um, with the with the view to kind of flip it into higher quality names. That's where I am right now. Uh, but we'll get into this a little bit later. But how the world has changed, how I'm looking at the world differently is that um, I don't think people are appreciating the depth of, of how bad and how long this COVID situation will last. You know, I, I always... I well, you, keep... can't, you, can't, you can't blame people for that. And the reason that I say that is you look at a guy like President Trump. This mm-hmm. is the guy who's the leader of the free world who should be getting us out of this. Today, he was on CNN or he was doing a, a, a press briefing saying that he expects business to go back to normal by Easter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think he was saying it's people were trying to pin him to a time frame, which is unfair because nobody knows how long you know a, a shutdown will take. Um, but he was saying you know it's going to be weeks, not months, right? When you know right. it, it sounds like the scientists are kind of pushing for something like four to six months, but there's a, a realization kind of creeping in that our economy cannot survive being shut down for six months. It's just not possible, right? So. No. So, you know, it, it. I also don't think four weeks is gonna is gonna make any sense, right? There's there's a balancing act here about trying to shut this thing down early, and that was the last podcast. If you listen to, you know, that's what I was saying is that to beat this thing, we have to shut down our entire way of life. And the reason I was so you know freaked out was the realization of, you know, when you take away that that discretionary consumer spending in the North American economy, it just, it, it's like driving a car at 100 and then suddenly, you know, cranking on the handbrake and going all the way to zero or going to 20, right? Immediately. It, it's just, you're going to fly through the windshield. That's the problem. So, um, man, I, I, I don't want to be a passenger in your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, I mean the, the reality is Trump can say what he wants right now. Um, I don't think that the the head of the Italian government, you know, when there's five, six hundred people dying a day from this thing, I don't think they're able to say, hey, we have to lift all the shutdown and, and get back to work because the economy's hurting. I just don't think that's realistically possible for them right now. And I think that, um, and by the way, if, if you want to sort of see the, you know, somebody who I think is handling the response to COVID very well and exceptionally well. You know, I would recommend you check out the broadcast by Governor Anthony um, or Andrew Cuomo, Andrew. Andrew Cuomo of New York, and and he's kind of been a real, I think, shining star of of delivering a very serious uh, but practical message um, and getting through to people. And and I think people have really looked to how he's handling his situation, which is brutal, by the way. New York is in a lot of trouble. Um, but I think that's a good example of real leadership, you know, doing a full shutdown, figuring out what has to happen, and also sort of starting to balance how do we restart the economy 
um, when all this is is said and done. Right, right. He's yeah, he's facing a tremendous uh, issue right now, where you know they don't they don't have enough beds, they don't have enough ventilators, and and what the federal government is giving them is just not enough in the sheer volume that they have. So so let's look. Let's talk actually about the depth of the problem, and and I think. This is super important because, you know, the, the reason we want, we need to talk about things have changed. Where we're sitting right now, I feel that most people, whether they be um, investors or whether they be, you know, just general public, everyone is sort of living under the guise that this whole shutdown is going to take maybe three or four weeks. Like people are kind of making plans um, such that, hey, we're going to go back to work you know, in just a couple of weeks. And I don't think that's realistic. All of the medical experts are saying this is going to be months, not weeks. And uh, I just I just don't see this being less than 60 days. I think 60 days would be optimistic. I think something in the range of three to four months is more realistic. I just think the the limiting factor is not going to be the science. It's going to be the economic health of the country and people throwing their hands up and saying, we can't we can't take this anymore. We need to get out of the house. We need to get back to work. So I do right. I do think people are sort of pricing in or, or expecting, you know, a three to four week shutdown. And I think in reality, it's going to be more like a three to four month shutdown. So that is why I'm doing something so drastic and moving mostly to cash, because my thesis, and I know, Abby, we typically don't try to time the market, but my thesis is when we get to day 30, um, of what was supposed to be a 30-day shutdown, and people realize it's like, no, 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 we got to go for another 30 days. I think a people are going to be losing their minds, but b I think also liquidity is rapidly, rapidly drying up in the system, and I think the worst is still yet to come. The worst is still yet to come from a viral perspective or from an economic perspective, because obviously I think it's both. Um, I was reading that. It takes about eight weeks for the contagion curve to begin to decline. We're mm-hmm. in day nine now. Yeah. So we're nowhere near that eight-week time period. You're seeing the rapid increase in New York, and uh, Andrew Cuomo was even today well, today was in an interview telling all the other states that, hey, I am you guys in, like, three weeks. So yeah, it's if coming. you want to see what's going to happen to your state, look at me. It's coming. It's coming. And and that was the whole thing about COVID is that we all felt that we were immune to it because it started in China. It went to South Korea. You know, it was only really like Italy. When it started hitting Italy, it got more real because, um, you know, China kind of feels far away. It's different. You know, stuff happens over there. But, hey, it's not going to conquer different dietary uh, preferences. That's right. Yeah. To a place like Italy then, you know, it's more, it's more of a Western world it's more relatable. that we can relate to. Yeah, right? it's, exactly. it's more relatable, right? And, and look, let's, let's keep it real, too. I, mean, I think a lot of people are pointing to the fact that China was able to contain this thing in, in about, you know, two months, and South Korea was able to contain it. Um, you look at two things that happened there that, that are very different, right? So first of all, I don't think we can necessarily trust information out of China, although, I, you know, I think they do have it contained, but... But look, Starbucks opened back up in China, right? So Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I'm not saying they haven't contained it. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying everything, all the data that comes from China, I think we have to view skeptically. We can't sort of just view right. it as fact. 
Um, and, and this is actually the interesting thing I was thinking about last night is that there are a lot of parallels to draw between cannabis investing and COVID investing, right? And like it or not, we are all now COVID investors because everything you do, you have to view through the short and longer term lens of how this will affect the, the world that we live in, right? And that is, right. the, that is the thesis of today, things have changed, right? So the thing about cannabis that was always interesting to me is that it is a blend of, um, you know, being able to read hard data but then also realizing the limitations of the data. Like when you're talking about black market numbers, you always have to understand you're, you're seeing things that are proximate. They're not, you know, you're taking the data as a data point and you're having to extrapolate um, based on, you know, understanding that the data is not perfect and doesn't have a perfect methodology of being collected, right? Right. You and I debated about that one time, right? And we kind of just gave, I think it was like what, 3X multiplier. That was like what we came to an agreement on. Whatever we see in white market sales, we just multiply that by three, and that was like kind of what black market numbers were, or the estimates that black market numbers were having. Yeah, but the, the big point was we were making to each other is we agree that we don't know, but it just exactly. seemed from a gut feeling that it was some multiple of what we're seeing, right? Just, right. just sort of logically and through extrapolation, right? So, right. So I think let's let's apply that same lens to COVID. I think it's very important because you know, it's very important when you have numbers to understand methodology of how we get to those numbers, right? So I think we can say that the data from South Korea is qu quite reliable. I think we can also say the data from Italy is quite reliable, right? Now, what what are the holes in the data? So first of all, I think people are looking at the data from from China and from South Korea, and they're they're viewing that optimistically and saying, look, these company, these countries were able to shut down their kind of the exponential growth of this virus, right? So we can do the same. But there's two really important differences to understand. I, I think it's important to understand that North America is going to behave a lot more like Italy and Europe than it is like China and South Korea. And the first reason is because China has the ability to do all kinds of things that we can't do, right? Well, yeah, it's a state-run democracy, right? So I mean, you can put uh, democracy in quotes, but yeah. Well, it's a state-run. That's why you, you yeah. preface it with that. Yeah. And with that, you know, it's uh, Xi Jinping can come in and just ultimately just do whatever he wants, shut down the entire economy, and put military on the road. It's not that easy to do that in the Western world. I mean, there, there were a big statement yeah, to see military sure. on the road in the Western world because if you think about it. When have you and I ever seen the army on the road? One time in Toronto in the winter when to help clear snow. So that was about it. And yeah. then I guess when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was prime minister, that was the last time that we saw that Quebec saw military on there. That was during he enacted the wartime act. That, um, that was a little and, before my time. Yeah, but I mean, but that was it. We learned that in the history class. Since both you and I have been alive, we haven't ever seen this. This will be a history lesson. What we're going through right now, it will be something that they teach kids in school, similar to the 2008 financial crisis. Oh, for sure, for sure. So, so look, so let, let me. The sorry, best, let me, way, the best so let, way to cure a virus is, you know, print more money. They'll <laughs> <laughs> teach us in economics for sure. So, look, let, let's yeah. let's finish the point though. Like, it's important to keep in mind. Like, when I'm looking at this and trying to put my hat on and say, okay, how bad is this thing going to get? You know. It's easy to be, I think, 
you know, we all want to be optimistic and look at what happened in South Korea and say, we're going to do the same thing. But look, in China, they were literally like welding apartment building doors shut and saying, you know, people in Wuhan, you're not leaving your apartment building. Like literally, we're going to lock you in your own apartment building and you can't leave. Right. We can't do that. We just can't do that. The second thing is South Korea, people forget South Korea is not just the home of esports and video games. Okay. It is a it is a country which is right next to North Korea and lives under the constant threat of, you know, potential military action. So South Korea, like Israel, all of the citizens have to do army training. So the entire country. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like like uh, we had a friend who had to go back there for military training and, you know, just a normal guy. Right. So. The entire country is mobilized and ready to move. When you get an order from, you know, the head of the country saying, you guys have to do this, they're ready to listen and take that seriously because they are ready in case, you know, the big red button goes off and a missile is coming towards them to act, right? So, and the other thing too is China and South Korea, they take these illnesses more seriously because they lived through SARS and it was more of a big deal for them than it was for us, right? So we've had now two false starts with SARS and Ebola, and we don't take this stuff seriously anymore, right? Um, right. That's why I think COVID hit us so hard. And it's still the worst is to come because we're walking around now. I mean, you're seeing things in, in Florida where people on the, are on the beaches, they're having spring break. I mean, people are right. not taking this seriously. Well, yeah, exactly. We're still not taking it seriously. Yeah, and, that, and that's a big problem, right? This is the incubation period. This is the infection period. So when I look at what's happening, I go, we're, we're going to be a lot more like Italy than we are going to be like South Korea. And that's a big, big problem because this thing grows by exponentials. And they're saying already, like, yes, we've, we've you know, in Toronto, for example, social distance, distancing has kicked in. The streets are for the most part empty, which is great to see. But it's already too late. It's already out there incubating. It's already out there being passed around. What we're doing right now is going to help us, you know, stop the second wave of this thing or the third wave. But the the well, it'll, 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 it should it should slow the growth rate because there are a lot of like, for instance, today I was I've left the city, um, and so for instance, today when I was leaving, um, every person that I ran into in my apart in my condo building was wearing gloves. Like they were all wearing either black leather gloves or mm-hmm. even like medical gloves or gloves. <clears throat> Our concierge was wearing a mask. So people are trying to take it more seriously. Agreed. What was concerning to me was when I was driving, I noticed that on Lakeshore that people were still out in groups larger than two or three. Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that, was, that was concerning. And was it younger and people, older people? What were you seeing? It was a mix. It was a mix. Like, I, I, I don't want to say that it, uh, I don't want to blame any generation, right? I feel like millennials are taking the, um, taking a big hit on this, but it's not necessarily uh, millennials that are, you know, on spring break. Those are Gen Zs, but we're also seeing, you know, baby boomers out and about as well because now I'm in the suburbs and I'm looking at trails and the trails are just as packed as malls. Right. Right, right. I mean, look, obviously it's better to be in more open areas, but still, I, I take your point. Like, people aren't aren't taking this as seriously as we as we probably should. Yeah, exactly. And so what I was trying to get at with this is that it's 
not going to be far before, you know, like you said, we're following Italy. Um, Italy is enacted martial law. I mean, there's different, there's various uh, degrees to martial law, but military is on the road in Italy. That's going to happen here in Canada, and we have nobody but ourselves to blame. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's yeah. Let's let's see. I I kind of agree with you that I don't know. It's hard to say martial law or not. I, I don't know, but uh, I guess this thing is going to keep getting worse, and people have to start taking it more seriously, right? And I, I think they will as this disseminates through the system, and we see it we see it kind of having its effect, right? Um, but I so look, that, that's a good little primer on COVID, and of course, we are not at all infectious disease experts, but. This is a very unique situation because, you know, when 2008 hit, it kind of, it hit, you know, global markets or global financial markets across the world in one shot, right? This is interesting because this is cascading through the world. So, you know, when I came on 10 days ago and I was all panicked, it was because I had seen, you know, I'd looked at the data now of what happened in Italy and I was like, oh my God, this is coming to us, right? So, you can now look and you can see what's happening in various different countries and, and you can see what's coming. So another reason that, that it actually is kind of um, parallel to cannabis investing is similar to the way that every country has its own cannabis regulation and then within the states, every state has its own regulation. Uh, every state and every country will be fighting the COVID battle in a different way. Right. And that will be very, very interesting to see play out. And there will be, you know, people who handle it better and there will be people who handle it worse. And, you know, one of the reasons I got panicked last week was when I saw how badly Florida was handling things um, right. as a state. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to be dealing with this for, you know, potentially years to come. I mean, they're very reluctantly shutting anything down. They did start a couple of days ago. Um, but they've got a lot of old people living in Florida, a lot of people who don't have access to good health care. Um, and this thing is just going to run. It's like it's just going to rampage through through the U.S. Right. I can, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Um, Florida, obviously, you've paid a lot more attention to it than I have. And I've, when we were having this conversation, you kind of opened my eyes to it. And you were there recently. And you were even saying when you and I were chatting, we were chatting about this as a positive, was that the dispensaries were packed full of people, right? Yeah, yeah. And that might be a negative. Well, look, I mean, here, here's the good news, right? Is that, um, and this is, you know, bringing it back to, to cannabis, is that cannabis has the benefit in these times of, it, I think it will be declared by most places to be an essential service. And, in places like Florida, it's pretty easy conversation because it's medical. So same way pharmacies are open, dispensaries will be open, right? My concern is that you do have a lot of like real medical patients who are immunocompromised and are elderly. And if they're going into these places and they're catching, you know, COVID, I mean, your your patient base is really going to be in trouble in, in two to three weeks, right? So that's very concerning right. to me. Now, look, companies like TrueLeave and, and Liberty, they're all figuring this out and they're, they're starting to do more, you know, curbside pickup or whatever they're doing, but it, it's a concern. But, um, you know, the benefit, the, the generally, the good thing is cannabis will remain open in most places. It depends where you are. It depends state by state. 
um, like in Massachusetts, for example, which has been very a very difficult state. Um, they're saying medical only, not recreational, which I think is a very silly move because you're definitely going to be able to buy booze in mass, right? So people not being able to buy cannabis, but they can buy alcohol, to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So most well, not even only that. You're probably going to fuel the black market as well, right? For sure, for sure. And, and I think that, I think in reality, people can make all kinds of, you know, reasons why you can buy alcohol or why you can buy cannabis. The reality is if you're asking people to sit at home for a prolonged period of time, you know, they might want need something that calms them down. Probably. Yeah. You know, you know uh, uh, like I think Quebec said it best. The guy was like, look, the, al- the you know, the, the place to buy alcohol is open because sometimes a, a glass of wine at the end of the day helps people relax. Right. And we're asking people in on an unprecedented fashion to sit at home. You know, they might need to relax a little bit. Right. So right. from a cannabis consumption standpoint, actually, I think that bodes really well for what's going to happen. Um, of course, the asterisk is what happens if you shut down the cannabis production facilities, right? Um, and, and again, this will really depend state by state. It's not, you can't paint a broad brush and say every cannabis store will be open and every cannabis production facility will be open. That's, that's just not, you have to really look at it state by state, province by province, what they're doing, right? So in Ontario, for example, all of the cannabis retailers are allowed to remain open. A lot of them are switching to to pick up only, and all of the producers are allowed to remain open for the time being, right? So this probably will be good for them, or at least, you know, somewhat good. Um, the question that we're going to have to see is that will the retail sales fall off a cliff because people don't want to go into the stores, right? Initially, there's a certain boom because people all run to the store and, and hoard and they, and they panic and they buy a lot more just in case. But how will that right. play out? week over week, month over month. We don't really know. Florida's data will be the best data to watch because we get it weekly. Yeah, something to keep into consideration. And one other thing for anybody who's looking at California, California has also deemed it as an essential service and they're keeping dispensaries open. That's good. That's good. I mean, again, the question becomes, how willing are people to go into these dispensaries? And so far, anecdotally in Ontario, I can say that people have been very willing to go in to buy their liquor from the liquor um, you know, control board. So I have to imagine the similar type of thing is going to happen with cannabis. The difference is people have the ability to buy it online um, in, in, get in Ontario. Get it in delivered. Ontario, yeah. But the reality is, with- the, the reality is, the distribution channel is not set up to handle 100% of the volume shifting to online. It's just not. Like already, yeah. if there, if maybe 20% of the sales are online in Ontario, which is which is unusually high, then maybe that doubled to 40%. Maybe. And already they've they've had to shut down some of their same day delivery and stuff like that. They just can't keep up with the volume. So the system is not designed to be able to handle all of the traffic moving online, and that's a problem. Right, and I want to add, um, so I was talking to uh, a company in California. Um, They're a cannabis company, and I was talking to the CEO and asking him, you know, what's going on, what are you worried about? Um, He was saying that they had the biggest day they've they've had ever in, and this was 
last some sometime last week, I can't remember the exact date. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, it was trending up in terms of sales. What his biggest concern was was a keeping supply in stock. Yep. Because right now, if you don't have that supply, or if you don't have stock, then your customers are going to go instantly to your competitors. Yep. Or even to the black market. Yep. Uh, and then his second concern was uh, the, the the health risks to his employees who are on the front line. 100%. Right? So he was saying that, you know, they don't have the staff and willpower to do it. Or sorry, they don't have the staff to, to uh, if, if, you know, if people start calling in sick, they don't have enough staff to replenish what's going on. Yep. Uh, they're taking, obviously, all precautions, right? They're not letting too many, like, the staff are behind glass. Um, they're wearing gloves, masks, everything. They're doing all that. And so this company also likes to uh, lead it at a distribution channel as well, and they try to deliver to, to people's homes. And just like you said, uh, in Ontario, the infrastructure is not there to, to support it. Over there, the infrastructure just hasn't evolved quick enough to get there. Yeah, look, it's, it's, so, how do you go from doing, like, just think about it logically, right? Like, how do you go from doing 100 deliveries a day to doing 1,000 deliveries a day overnight? It's not right. possible, right? Like it's, it's, you know, Amazon, who is the best logistics company in the world, they're having a lot of problems in Europe right now. Um, in Spain in particular, I was reading about because a lot of people don't want to go to the grocery store, so they just want to order Amazon to their house. And, and Amazon literally cannot keep up with the volume of orders, right? So, Yeah, but we got to remember when Amazon first started, right, mm-hmm. this is going back to cannabis, when Amazon first started, they relied heavily on FedEx. Sure. Right, and in cannabis, you don't have the FedEx. You, like in Canada, we're we're relying on the Canadian government and the states. Right. It depends on what state you're in. So right. it just adds even further burden. Yeah, it's, it's an even even bigger hurdle. It's an even bigger yeah. hurdle. Yeah, but I'm saying even Amazon of all of all people, like this is their time to shine, and they're being like, whoa, whoa, whoa we can't handle all of this volume, right? So like, how do we expect these like new cannabis companies? to be able to do what, you know, Amazon is having trouble doing, right? Like it's, it, it, it's a, I think people maybe don't appreciate how difficult, you know, large scale distribution can be, especially when you're expected to go from one to a thousand overnight, right? It, it's, it's impossible. It's just not possible. Right. So, so let's talk about things have changed from an investment lens, what we were preaching to you, at least I was preaching to you last year, is look, stop playing around in the mud, go for the higher quality names, ask yourself who's going to be here a year from now, because, you know, a a huge uh, cannabis crisis is approaching, okay? All we have to do is take that thesis and just pull at it from the sides and stretch it to fit the overall entire market now, not just cannabis, but the entire market, because what you're about to see will be a deleveraging and and liquidity crisis of epic proportions. And let's just caveat this by saying nobody knows, and we're not sure how long this will last. And if this only lasts three to four weeks, uh, then fine, we'll bounce back, no problem, great. You know, we'll be laughing about it. If this lasts longer, you know, two, three, four months a lot of businesses cannot survive. I'm already hearing about the first wave of 
tenants coming back to their landlords and saying, we cannot pay, we're not paying you on the first of the month. And then that is reverberating because the landlords are going to the banks and saying, we can't pay our mortgages. And now the banks who were, who were talking a big game about wanting to be more active in a down market, they're saying, whoa, 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 like we can't be deploying our capital when we don't even know how many of our loans aren't going to be performing anymore. So we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here. And if you guys think this is bad, I mean, the markets gyrate wildly. Like, the, the, you know, the overall markets were up eight or nine points today alone. Not cannabis, but generally, which is massive. Um, and, I, I mean, just wait 30 days. Like, just wait till liquidity keeps drying up and people get really desperate. Things are going to get crazy. Yeah, and I want to touch further touch on the real estate side, not on, like, an actual real estate, but an investment vehicle. I was talking to somebody about this, and they did a really good job. Um, back in January, every analyst was touting REITs as a really great investment vehicle. They were, they were like the top and most recommended list, and it made sense back there. Uh, sorry, back then. And what has happened is that REITs have taken a really big hit. And we're trying brutal. to figure out why. Absolutely, bru- to, absolutely yeah, brutal. Exactly. And we're trying to figure out why, and we talked to a portfolio manager. And he was saying, well, this is how REITs typically perform. So what happens is a REIT or a portfolio manager will take a short-term loan, purchase a long-term mortgage, and then cover the difference um, in a good market, right? Because they have liquidity, they have capital coming in, they have flows coming into their funds. And so they can then use that arbitrage to make profit. And that's what they were doing in January. Well, now what's happening is the short-term lending market has spiked. It's, the cost of borrowing is significantly higher now on short term, um, and liquidity is completely dried up. So they're not getting more money coming in. So, so now sorry, they're kind Abby, of caught in a short squeeze. Yeah, so Abby, let me just understand. Are you saying a portfolio manager would go and buy, like would borrow money short term to buy the REIT stock longer term? No, 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 no. The portfolio manager who manages the REIT because they own, like the REITs will own. Um, okay, you're you're talking about how, how REITs actually work. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So sorry, let me let me jump in here because this I know. So basically the idea is, and this is commercial real estate in a nutshell, is that commercial real estate is a very leverage-driven business, okay? People don't buy properties without using a mortgage. It's just accepted. It just makes sense, okay? So if you're buying an asset and it has, let's say, a 6 to 7% yield so you know you pay a dollar and every every year at the end of the day you're getting six to seven cents of kind of cash flow right um then what you'll do is you'll go get a mortgage at let's say four percent right and the difference between four percent and six percent that's where you make your money right that's what we call positive leverage right and you'll typically lever anywhere between 50 to 70 percent right so REITs usually have to lever they have to keep their leverage down around 50 or 60 percent okay so that's all well and good when things are good the problem is when things are bad, you have a big problem now because you're, you're loaded up with debt. So, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity analysis that's done that says, okay, if you get, you know, 10% of your tenants suddenly stop paying you rent, what does that look like? And, okay, we still have enough buffer room, we're okay. What we're seeing now is completely unprecedented where you're having, you know, retail centers having to shut down completely, right? Having to go dark, as we call it. Um, I mean, that is 
brutal, something we've never seen before, right? I mean, Abby, I think you said it best. Even in 2008, you know, if you wanted to have a beer with your friend, you could go have a beer, right? Right. You weren't, can't do that now. Yeah, you weren't afraid to leave your house. You were you were allowed to go down to the local pub and have dinner there, right? Like you can't do that anymore. That's unprecedented. So think about how many office towers there are, which which you know the tenants are going to come back and and want rent abatements. Think about how many retail centers cannot be open, even apartment buildings, which are typically regarded as like the safe haven. They're having the tenants come back now and say, "Hey, I'm getting laid off. I can't pay." Right? And this is reverberating through the market. So that's why REITs have been getting hammered so much. I had a call with somebody right. earlier today who said, hey, this, this particular retail REIT, which, is, which is, you know, is a high quality name, now has like a 15% dividend. You know, why wouldn't I buy it, right? And I said, look, I hear what you're saying, but think about like if you, if we always say you're not buying the stock, you're buying the business. Imagine if you owned that retail portfolio how sure would you be that you can keep making your dividend payments, right? How sure are right. you about your cash flows? Sorry, can I just chime in here real quick? What I, what I was trying to get at with the read example was what you were talking about, about high grading your portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. And so top analysts on the street were touting REITs as, you know, a safe haven, not, not, not necessarily a safe haven, but a low-risk asset class, and they're getting hammered right now. So when you're high grading your portfolio going forward in COVID investing, there's so many other factors that you now have to take into consideration. Like what? And you did a good job touching on it. I mean, I mean, right, I say like what? I yeah, yeah. I, I look. I think I'm hearing some discussion of people who are who are kind of saying, well, what what will perform well in you know through this new the new COVID world, and that's what I'll buy. And and I think that's a little silly to be honest with you. I mean, you know, as doom and gloom as as I'm sounding, the good news is we're going to beat this thing, right? Like. We're going to come out the other side of this thing. I don't. I'm not necessarily like these politicians who are saying we're going to be stronger and better than ever. I don't know. Like we're going to come out of this thing and we're going to be hurting, but we're going to figure it out and there'll be an upswing. It's not going to be super fast. I think it'll take time, but we will beat this thing. Okay, that's the good news. Yeah, we hold on. We will beat this thing for sure. I, I have high conviction that we will because all the world leaders are getting together. And you know, you don't want to bet against them when they're all, you know, working towards one common goal. But what I want to touch back on is sort of, you know, how this episode is called Things Have Changed. Well, things have changed even in the long run, right? Like yes, after COVID, true. I don't think our way of life will go back to normal. And I want to draw the parallel on 9-11. Okay. I, I, I was young, so I didn't really travel too much before 9-11, but I was talking to my parents, and they were saying that, Security prior to 9/11, uh, or sorry, airport security prior to 9/11, was a joke. Was yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a joke, but it was a lot less stringent than it is now, right? Post 9/11, we take our shoes off, we have retina scans. If you have Nexus, you scan your hand, you you go through a full-on body scan. Yeah, you different world. Luggage, they swap you down, right? That level of adaptation that's happened after 9/11 is going to be something similar that you're going to see with COVID. We don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, maybe uh, movie theaters now have to have less people in, in, uh, per theater, right? Yeah, Restaurants yeah. might not be as packed. Yeah, so listen, great great point. Uh, but I, I think that, look, I, I think that ultimately the human condition, for better or for worse, is that people forget things, right? As we get further and further away from things, we forget them. There, there's an old joke that, like, 
real estate has uh, 10-year cycles, but five-year memories, right? So same way after, like after 2008, and, and you and I were both pretty young at that time, so we weren't really working, but after 08, even when things recovered, I think people fundamentally shifted the way they looked at the world. And whether you were a consumer or whether you were a business, you wanted to keep a certain amount of cash in the bank at all times just in case because the level of confidence was shaken and you never knew what was coming around the corner. And eventually, over time, we forgot about all that, right? And we shifted to, you know, coming into 2020, I mean, unbridled optimism for investors, willing to take full risk, willing to, you know, cash is basically trash. I don't want to have cash sitting around earning nothing. I want it to earn yield, right? Now, it's completely flipped on its head and people are looking around and saying, okay, if I don't get any money in the door for three to six months, can I survive, right? And I think that even once we beat this thing, that will be a tough mentality to shake. So I don't think we'll have crazy unbridled consumer confidence and optimism the same way, at least for a couple of years coming out of this thing. And that will hurt valuations, that will hurt consumer spending, that will fundamentally change the way we think about the world. I don't, yeah, I, I, don't I don't think we're going to have super long-term consequences of, um, you know, rearranging airplanes and rearranging this and that. Maybe for a little while, but after four or five years, people will forget about it. We'll get back to our old way of life. Hopefully, we do take some positive steps in disaster awareness and readiness and being able to take things like this seriously in the future, right? But... From an investment standpoint, um, I think that the deleveraging that we're going to have to do, the housekeeping we're going to have to do, is going to be very painful. And, you know, the silver lining in all of this is that there are going to be some phenomenal businesses which are able to purchase at very attractive valuations. And some of them are going to be cannabis and some of them are not going to be cannabis. Like, you know, I think going going back to the well now when I when I deploy my capital this time around, I'm probably going to be a lot more cautious in cannabis. I don't think I'm going to load up 110% on cannabis. I think I'll load up probably 40 or 50% on cannabis, which is still a lot. And I'll do a lot of blue chip stocks. I'll do a lot of Canadian banks, and I'll do you know I'll do something like Facebook or something like Apple, um, something which I which I can appreciate from a PE perspective, from an earnings perspective, something which has a lot of cash in the bank. And something that I think we'll have, you know, we'll probably have a tough time in the short term, but in the long term, I feel very good about, and I don't mind holding for a long period of time. Right. And who knows? Maybe we'll come out of this with a better healthcare system. So healthcare names might be attractive. Yeah, maybe. But but again, like I guess the question is, why would I play on the maybes? Right. Maybe this will happen. Maybe that will happen. I'm not really sure. I think that in terms of yeah, but I mean, you're not really like you can't really be a certain of almost anything at, at this point, right? Yeah, sure. But I mean, I guess when I take a step back, and you're right, things have changed. You know, like I was talking to somebody recently, and I said, you know, I'm selling because I think we're about to get hit. Like I think liquidity is about to dry up, and the whole system is going to panic, right? And I want to be ready for that. Um, and he said to me, "Well, look." I mean, cannabis names are already down so much. Where do you think they're going to fall, right? So if, if right now things are trading at three to five times sales and they used to trade at 10 times sales, 
where do you think they're going to go to? One-time sales? Two-time sales? And I was like, look, don't expect pricing for anything to, to behave rationally. That's just not the world we're going to live in for a while. When there's a rush to the exits, whether it's in cannabis or whether it's in everything, people just sell to get liquidity wherever they can sell. And short-term pricing, which could be, by the way, weeks, it could be months, short-term pricing will depend on supply and demand of people buying and selling. Okay, So don't expect it to be like, oh, it's going to fall to one-time sale and then everyone's going to turn their brains on again. Things can go down very quickly and things can, things can really drop off a cliff um, with no rationality with regards to price, right? So that's why from, from a longer-term lens, the prices that we're at today probably look pretty good. They're probably actually really attractive prices long-term. Um, how yeah, I, yeah, of course. I think like if you look at any correction after 10, 20, 30 years, I mean, <clears throat> they're great buying opportunities, right? We touched on this earlier. It's like, hey, this is our 2008, and water. How many people have said, "I wish I had money back in 2008"? Right, but what people forget is that in 08, um, you know, yes, everything looked you like it. Sure, it looked cheap. It was down 50 percent, but you didn't know if it was going to be around tomorrow, and you didn't know if you were going to need the money to, you know, pay for your mortgage or something, right? So that's the pe point part that people forget is that when liquidity dries up. Um, the whole game changes. There's definitely a, yeah, there's definitely a reason for why the liquidity does dry up. Um, but my whole thing for, for this right now, I mean, look, listen, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think in this market, logic does need to prevail. Um, I talked, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think the world different, sorry, the world leaders will put their differences aside, sort of work together to combat this. And kind of this is where the opportunity lies. It's tough to have conviction put that against the market when, you know, governments all around the world are working around the clock to save them. So I really want to touch back on, you know, high grading your portfolio, sort of what you were talking about there. Um, but even owning the S&P 500, like I, I think in five five years from now, this you'll we'll look back on this as a chart and be like, oh man, I wish I had bought, I bought the S&P 500 back then. Listen, you're, I, that's a great point. And, and by the way, I, just for context, I went back and looked at 2008. Because, again, I, I was really too young to be paying attention back then. But I was curious, what does it look like in 08, right? Like we always say 08, but what does that actually mean from a market perspective? And what you'll see, it's a pretty interesting to track the S&P over that period. And what you'll see is that, you know, September 16th is when uh, Lehman, Lehman Brothers went under, right? The markets really didn't start falling off a cliff until about October, mid-October. So it took another maybe three weeks for markets really to plunge. And the plunge is very eerily similar to what it is right now. Like a, it was like a 35. Well, here, actually, I have the dates right in front of me here. Sure. So the peak date for the 2007 or 2000 for the financial crisis was October 9th, mm -hmm. 2007. That was when the markets, that's when the market started to churn and the trough date or capitulation or whatever you want to, whatever you want to give the name was March 3rd, 2009. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but let's let's just differentiate here because the, the 2007 date things started to go down, but it wasn't too bad. I'm pretty sure. Like they they lost a little bit of value. When you look at the chart, you look at like around October 08, it just falls off a cliff. So similar to what happened to us a little like a couple weeks ago, the markets drop like 35 points in like a week. Like it's just crazy the drop that happened in that October. And then what you yeah. see is that it kind of 
you know, there's a little it chugs along up and down, and there's another leg down, and and then that that bottom, if you will, is that March date in '09 you're talking about, right? So, from yeah. a timing perspective, it's like in September, mid-September, you're seeing companies go under. About three weeks later, you're seeing the markets fall off a cliff, and then about um, so so that it takes it takes something like. Uh, and, and then it takes another four to six weeks for things to fall down again lower. And then around uh, around four to six months from that original September date, you kind of hit your bottom. Things kind of stay that way for a little while, a couple months, and then they shoot up again. So right. even if you were to invest in sort of October um, when the first fall happened, you know, you'd probably go down another 20%. You'd probably be freaking out. Um, but long term, you would have done really, really well. So this is probably that first leg down, right? And if you invested in this leg down, um, you know, there's further room to fall, right? And that's probably very scary. But the reality is if you can hold on, and that's why I say buy high quality because that you're okay holding on. If you can hold on, you'll probably still be happy with your, with, with your purchases today in a year or two years. Right, right. So that's the benefit to all of this. So from an investment perspective, I would say that um, for me personally, I'm doing something which we don't normally recommend, which is trying to time the market a little bit, right? Um, but in general, if you're buying high quality companies, you know, whether it be cannabis, whether it just be regular blue chip, um, I think that you have the opportunity certainly to buy quality names at deep value there might be more downside risk, and I certainly think there is to come. Um, but overall, when you look back two or three years from now, this will probably be looked at as a very good opportunity to purchase uh, high-quality names. Right. I agree with you on that. <clears throat> okay. So um, anything we sort of want to say in conclusion, Abby? Um I think I think we touched it on on the head there. I mean, you're you're right. Uh, you know, we 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 always tell don't time the market. Sorry, you, sorry, market. Abby, you, you cut out there. What was the first thing you said? Oh, I said you were in, you were not incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, dude. I just, know where. Just where making sure. I thought my I thought my right phone now, malfunctioned so. there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, our listeners should be proud. You know, the quality of this podcast might not be our normal, but that's because. We're honestly just recording a cell phone call right now. You know what's funny is, is uh, you know, we listening to the last episode. You know, we called a bunch of things ahead of time. We like helicopter money, um, you know, the severity of a shutdown. And at the end, I kind of said, yeah, you know, we might not be able to record in the studio much longer. And sure enough, three days <laughs> later, the studio got shut down. So. Well, you want to hear like. You, you want to hear where like my first panic was? Not, I wouldn't say panic, but like the first like shock to realization. What's was, that? That Thursday, when you and I went into the studio, there was a Clorox, like there was Clorox wipes right down there. And there's never been anything in that studio ever. Right, yeah, that's a good point. And you can start wiping down yeah. all the surfaces. Yeah, we started wiping down all the buttons. We wiped down the spit guard on the mics, everything. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. And then, and then the funny part is, you know, we're recording this podcast basically on our cell phones right now, right? But yeah. when I watch like BNN, they're doing the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Like guys are sitting at home in their in their suits, uh, recording on their on their you know AirPods or whatever, and and they're they're broadcasting in. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting times for sure. Well, so one thing I did want to add is, um, like we were saying, it's not time in the market, it's time in the market. Um, Having said that, though, this is a time if you if you're working from home or whatever, you're keeping. This is a time to really keep a close eye on your portfolio. Um, I'm taking profits wherever I can. Like I bought a couple ETFs that have been up 20, 25 percent, and I just take the profits. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're going to see wild gyrations, right? Like today was a, a day when the market went up nine points. By the way, uh, maybe somebody can correct me on this, but there's no circuit breaker on the way up. Like the market jumps seven, eight, no, nine there, points. There will be. There can be. There can be. It happens uh, on stocks more or less. Okay, but like, not like not the overall market. Gains. I haven't seen it in an overall market, but I've seen it stop on the way up on a couple. Yeah, and like valuations just go crazy, crazy high really quickly. It's just interesting to me that it doesn't seem to be there's a circuit breaker when things are going up 10%, but when they go down 7%, we have to hit pause and reset the market. Well, a lot of that's also uh, algo-driven, right? So they want to kind of eliminate that. Jim Cramer was talking about that today, about these wild swings uh, being very like quant-driven or algo-driven, whatever you want to call it. And um, basically, computers trading, not humans. Yeah, let's and let's so, look. Let, let's see. I mean, I, I think the sentiment of people does swing wildly from day to day, right? Like, it's sort of like, hey, the sky is falling, the world is ending. Man, I think it's happening hour by hour. I'm tracking yeah. like how I'm feeling. Like, I wake up in the morning. Sometimes I wake up kind of doom and gloom, and then I hear a couple good reports, and I'm ecstatic. And then and then you call and then you call me, me and then I I, t- <laughs> I turn you back around. And then I pack all my stuff and leave the city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, I look. I mean, listen. Look, look, maybe, you know, in one of our other episodes, we'll, uh, or we'll, we'll talk about some of the names that we're buying as well, because I know we've, we've chatted quite a bit now. Yeah, look, let's, I think it's a good place to wrap. I, I mean, I would just suggest to people, um, you know, there's a natural tendency when things are down a lot to just, like, not even look at your portfolio. I would say, you know, if you have capital available to you, um, it's really time to start looking deeply into what you want to own. And as much as we love cannabis and we're going to keep talking about cannabis, um, you know, when there's opportunities to buy, you know, Facebook or Apple at deeply discounted prices, and, and I'm not saying whether that today is the day or not, but, you know, you have to look at investing from a broader lens, right? So this is the Cannabis Investing Network. That's what we're always going to be talking about. But I think realistically also, especially for the next little while, this will be the COVID investing network. Like this really, this really is a game changer and we have to look at everything through this lens. So, you know, things have changed. Um, We're going to be coming to you, you know, and one of the benefits of, of recording this way is, you know, we can probably get the episodes out quicker and we don't have to sort of wait for set recording dates. Um, so we can be more timely, which is very important in today's market because everything expires and moves pretty quickly, right? So, right. so that's it, guys. Um, thanks for listening. Well, hold on. Well, hold on. Before, before we do that last wrap-up, yeah, if you want to put something out to our listeners over here, um, if you guys find this, the quality of this just unbearable, please let us know. We will invest in our own personal equipment, but if this is bearable, then go. We could save a couple of dollars and uh, put, them to, put, put that money to work. Yeah, let's see. Money's a little tight right now, so speak for yourself about, <laughs> about investing in equipment. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Let us know if you have any questions. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.